Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out more about our organization at action22.org. Now, here are your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Making Action Happen. I'm Sarah Blackhurst. And I'm Brian McCain. So we have a pretty interesting show, especially if you are working in any kind of um, local government or public policy space. And we do have a lot of listeners from outside of Colorado, as well as in Colorado. And so this might uh, show is going to be a benefit to everyone. What we're going to be talking about today is the American Recovery Plan. American Rescue Plan. American Rescue Plan. (laughs) Why do I keep saying recovery? Um, the American Rescue Plan. I, I guess I want to think that we're recovering rather than being rescued. Yeah. That's my problem. Yeah. Um, so we're going to talk about that today. Uh, the guidelines just came out this week on the specifics of those. And so my immediate thought was to call up two of our colleagues, Action 22 colleagues, and that is um, John Swart out and uh, Kevin Bomber. Um, and so they're going to be on the show. They're starting to unpack the nuances of the particular guidelines. And so I wanted to say welcome to both of them today. John Swarthout is from the uh, Colorado Counties, Inc., or CCI. And uh, Kevin Bomber is the executive director for the uh, Colorado Municipal League, which is uh, known affectionately around Colorado as CML. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you so much for being with us today. We appreciate you coming on. Yep. Great. Glad to be here. So before we get too far into this, I wanted to... um, I wanted to have you guys sort of introduce yourselves um, and introduce what your organizations do before we start to unpack um, some of the what's going to be happening next with these funds, Um, in particular, because I think some people uh, don't um, know the impact of your associations. Great. Um, I'll go first. Uh, John Swartout, and I'm the executive director of Colorado Counties. Happy to be here. Colorado Counties is a statewide organization that represents and has been representing for more than 100 years um, uh, the counties in Colorado. Uh, We currently represent 61 out of the 64 counties in Colorado, and we we do advocacy on behalf of those counties. We do education um, and, and outreach, and we also do... We do whatever we can to support counties and county commissioners, especially when they come in and um, as a new commissioner and we provide orientation. Basically, the folks that have been working at Colorado County has been there for more than 20 years at this point and do everything we can to support counties, both at the Colorado legislature, at a federal level, and as well um, on education needs, um, other needs that they have. And we, we're a resource and we provide information for them. So been doing it for a long time and uh, happy to be here. Thanks, John. Kevin. Yeah, uh, Kevin Balmer. I'm the executive director of the Colorado Municipal League. Uh, like CCI, CML is a member-based organization. Uh, we're made up of 270 
uh, of Colorado's municipalities. If anyone has a connection in Sheridan Lake, that'll get me at 100%. Um, uh, and, uh, and if anyone knows where Sheridan Lake is, you get bonus points. Um, <laughs> uh, CML, uh, like CCI, is uh, uh, governed by a board elected by our membership. And, and uh, uh, our three primary functions are advocacy, information, and training advocacy, primarily at the state level and then uh, through our uh, partners at the National League of Cities at the federal level, um, and then uh, advocacy or um, information and training for uh, both our staff and elected officials uh, in municipalities around the state. Uh, our bread and butter is our annual conference, which we had to uh, delay again. Well, we canceled last year. We'll have it in September of this year. And uh, that that draws uh, a pretty good chunk of municipal officials from around the state. And uh, with that, hopefully in the fall, we'll be all back on track with all of our regular functions and meetings and trainings. So this has been a pretty interesting um, year at the legislature. Uh, before we jump into uh, these guidelines, can you guys talk a little bit about some of the things that um, have been popping up for your association Uh both interesting and um, hopeful and uh, a little bit crazy. <laughs> uh, go ahead, John. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I start from the point that uh, we work with CML a lot because of our core principles. And, and the biggest core principle is uh, legislate, le- legislators, um, that don't come from local government really don't necessarily understand how the state constitution works and how local government is essentially an extension of state government and, and we're partners. And so we're always on guard for programs and, 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 and legislation that asks for, asks us to do things and doesn't pay for them. So unfunded mandates, one of our one of our big lenses that we look at legislation. It's great that you want to do this, but perhaps you should pay for it because local governments across Colorado don't necessarily have abundant resources to pay for programs that you know um, are mandated by the state legislature, and and that's been true over the many years. And I think um, this particular session, you know, started out. It didn't seem like it didn't seem like they were going to have a lot of money and then revenue actually picked up. And, um, you know, we have to be on guard to make sure that those programs are compatible counties in particular, we provide the, the services for the state, whether it's health and human services, elections. I mean, we're, we're the front line. We've been the front line in the pandemic with our public health officers and offices and, um, and the, the kind of communication that's necessary between state agencies and local governments is another thing that we watch really carefully because we have to implement those policies that they design in the legislature. So you might imagine we have an opinion about uh, about legislation when it's being drafted to make sure it's compatible with the implementation that we do. Um, and so that's always an education process. And with term limits, you know, we're in constant education mode as as an association at the legislature making sure they understand what our function is what we do and other things and of course there are some big issues in the legislature this time around and usually are and there's there's a transportation package there's uh 
there's huge amounts of money being spent, you know, on stimulus funds and other things that we keep track of. We, we try to work as in a partnership uh, with the legislature. That isn't always the easiest thing to accomplish, but we have a can-do attitude about working with them. And sometimes we have to stand up and oppose legislation. And we've opposed, we oppose legislation when um, it either is an unfunded mandate or it, it gives us direction that's, that as implementers, we, we don't think is the right approach. So um, every session is tough. At least the budget is a lot better than we thought it was going to be a year ago when the pandemic, you know, began. So, um, you know, it's always rough. I think um, we provide that local voice. And I think the, all the local government associations have worked together very well to raise and elevate our voice so that it's heard at the legislature. Um, absolutely. Kevin, what about you this session? What's it been looking like for the municipalities in Colorado? I mean, we always start off with the uh, real basic principle at the state house. Um, with both the, with both the legislature and the and the administration, keep local control local and keep home rule at home. Um, and uh, now, uh, a, a very good friend of mine, uh, former Senate uh, uh, leader, minority leader Andy McElhaney from from the region there, once said, uh, "Well, I'm for local control until I'm not." And you know that's something <laughs> that that's something that we um, hear a lot down at the state house, although maybe not quite so. Um, uh, bluntly and uh, and fairly delivered by by Andy, but but it's true. I mean, uh, it, it is an education campaign. Um, you know, I'm I'm I feel lucky. I you know, I work for an organization that um, is made up of municipal elected officials. Our membership is that uh, you know uh, almost every one of them does it because um, they have time they want to give back to their community. They have full time jobs doing other things. Uh, they certainly don't do it for um, uh, the pay scale and they don't do it for the fame and they certainly don't do it for all the um, gushing gratitude they get uh, every day from, you know, from uh, around the community. They do it because they care about their community and they want to work with their colleagues to do the same. We try to bring that spirit to the state house. I would say all the statewide associations of local government do um, in, in two ways. As John articulated, we uh, advocate and, uh, and articulate the impact on local governments of things that uh, the legislature is uh, uh, pushing or promoting, um, oftentimes also in, in uh, rulemaking as well um, in, the, in the agencies. Um, uh, but we also are a resource to the General Assembly and to the administration on local governments, you know, much in the same way they have um, a legislative council service that provides information about various things. We view ourselves in very much the same way. Um, and, and sometimes um, we have to preface a conversation with legislators. Uh, I'm acting as an advocate here and I'm telling you what you're doing is great or stinks or whatever. And here's why. Um, right. But most of the time we're trying to supply them with information and uh, have our, have our members uh, also be that voice. Um the, the mood, the atmosphere at the State House right now, you know, look, I spent my first 19 years at CML uh, as, as a lobbyist um, and uh, the last seven uh, to 10 years leading our advocacy program. And I am telling you, I got out to be executive director at just the right time because I don't think um, it's an environment that, uh, that I can handle. It's, it's a kid's game anymore, um, but it's also a very difficult, stressful one just with everything going on 
John Mentor Transportation, but obviously have a lot of legislation around um, uh, social justice and police reform that has a lot of impacts. Uh, and, uh, and and as you can imagine, we're, we're in the middle of a lot of those. So, you know, difficult, uh, but I know that my staff would say it's also uh, quite rewarding. No, absolutely. And I know we have quite a few of the Action 22 members and board members who are either county commissioners or mayors or um, city managers. And I know that they would not be able to do their job as effectively if it wasn't for both of your associations. So let's talk a little bit about um, American Rescue. Thank you. Um, American Rescue. First off, let's let's talk about what you see are the differences between this and uh, the CARES Act. Well, uh, a lot of things. Um, first of all, CARES Act... Um, uh, you know, Congress passed very quickly in a bipartisan way, um, and uh, and then everyone had to try and figure out what it was, what it you know what it did, um, what the rules were, and uh, and restrictions, and uh, I guess most disappointingly uh, provided very little guidance to the states as to how to ensure that the uh, uh, impacts of COVID nineteen on local governments were dealt with. So we had to spend a couple of months working um, first within the state and then several months after that, trying to understand guidelines that were changing uh, constantly and uh, and then go through a process. And our members certainly know a lot about this. And John and I spent a lot of time doing it, helping them uh, figure out what was reimbursable and then getting permission to get it reimbursed. Um, Rube Goldberg would have been proud and uh, it's no one's fault. It just is what it is. It was very complicated. And now we have the American Rescue Plan Act. Um, John, take a shot at why, why we see it as a little different ballgame. Well, I mean, the starting point, I agree with what Kevin said. And the starting point, I think, on the improvement is Kevin and I fought really hard and we're supported by our congressional delegation, Senator Bennett's office in particular, and on that the local governments get a direct distribution of the funding. So CARES Act for the, the largest, the five large county, city counties and counties uh, got a direct distribution for Treasury for CARES Act, but every other county and municipality had to get their money through the state and through the Department of Local Affairs, and it made it really difficult. And so as they were contemplating, you know, creating this new uh, rescue plan, we were adamant about that the counties and municipalities get a direct distribution of funding. The CARES Act was on a reimbursement basis for those that had to go through the state. So we would we would get reimbursed for expenses and we had to supply the information, get reimbursement. So huge improvement that most of the, all the counties and most of the municipalities are getting a direct distribution. And that really, um, really makes a big difference that we, we get the money. I think the other thing, I think they learned, I think folks at the treasury department learned from the CARES Act uh, and they tried at first blush to get this, guidance in a, in a readable format and more understandable than what the um, CARES Act was. There, there was a lot of ambiguity in the CARES Act. You know, capital expenditures, it, let's say that you were a 
a county or a city that had a jail and you were trying or a courthouse and you were trying to open that to the public under the guidance of state public health orders and you needed to make adjustments to that in order to in order to accommodate the public and accommodate the public health order well that's a capital expenditure and it technically it wasn't allowed except the guidance said under certain circumstances and that was just nightmarish for our county administrators and city officials to to navigate and figure out so this comes in a lot clearer we're going to we're going to need more clarity on it as we go forward but i think the first step was more clarity and that's really helpful and and it's more flexible uh, the funding can be used in a more flexible way than the CARES Act, and they kind of leave it, and, and Kevin and I both appreciate this, I think, to the wisdom of local officials who know their communities really well and know the kind of aid that would be the most useful uh, and, and most useful ways to spend the money. They're taking advantage of local wisdom and giving us some discretion on how to spend the money, and I think that's also a huge improvement from the kind of CARES Act, mother may I, uh, that that existed. So huge improvement there, and um, we worked really hard to get that. And so I think that's a big deal. I also think that you have more time to spend the money. So very importantly, um, it says that the money needs to be encumbered by December 31st of 2024, but you can expend it through the December 31st of 2026. So if you're working on a long-term project, a broadband long-term project, a housing long-term project, uh, waste and uh, wastewater long-term project, you'll have the time, you won't have to rush it. You'll have the time to actually commit the money by 2024, but you have till 2026 to spend it. So off the top, the huge improvements over how restricted the funding was for CARES Act. So let me ask you, um, as you've started to look at these guidelines, and, and we've seen a lot of movement already um, in, our, in our communities and in our counties about um, how they're going to spin this and, and what they're going to do. Um, they, were, they were making some assumptions, I think, uh, in some areas of, of some of those guidelines, which may or may not be correct at this point. Uh, as you've seen, and you've seen this movement as well, uh, what are your biggest concerns right now for, uh, and I'll ask you first, Kevin, um, from the municipality perspective and this money, how they're going to spend it and that coming in, um, and then John, from the county perspective as well. Uh, you know, I, I think if I were to articulate a concern, and, um, and, and I think it just uh, provides a, an opportunity for uh, patience and caution, is that because of that time frame, uh, and because uh, we're now uh, looking at the guidance and understanding it in the context of other federal uh, programs uh, that are out there, as well as state dollars that may be available, as well as potential partnerships with special districts or other local governments, um, I, anyone who's asked me of my membership um, and maybe some that haven't asked me, have been, been telling them, slow your roll. Um, don't make any big decisions too soon because you may miss an opportunity to, uh, to utilize dollars for greater impact um, than if you spend them right now. Um, uh, certainly to be able to uh, combine them with other funding to 
um, to, to leverage them, use them as matching dollars against other things. Um, and, um, and so, so I'm aware of some of my members that you know, made some early decisions based on what they thought was going to, was going to be the case. Some cases it might work out in some cases it may not, but, um, I, I really want to encourage folks and those working with local governments to, to take time, first of all, to see what can't be done or shouldn't be done, um, and, and then start exploring what the options and opportunities are. Uh, there's, there's some very uh, low-hanging fruits, very explicit language like around infrastructure, water, wastewater, broadband, and, you know, the partnerships are innumerable there. Um, but, but some of the other um, uh, uh, allowances within the, the uh, uh, relief fund certainly um, lend, it, lend themselves to taking the time to have a conversation both internally and with uh, local, state, and federal partners uh, to determine, you know, the best ways to spend dollars. So just take a beat. You don't have to be rushed on this. Let's do it right. This is the only time this is going to happen, that, that we can assume that this is going to happen. So just, it's fine. You, you can take a breath and figure it out. Yeah, and this is, John, I, I agree with that. I think the other, the other, the other, we're saying the same thing to counties, essentially. And I think it, it's important to realize that the local government distribution, what's coming to municipalities and, and to counties, um, there's an enormous amount of money that comes through the state. Some of that money the governor will distribute and some of the money will go through the legislative process. So it's taking the time to look at all that money. And, and Kevin and I have been really clear when we've had uh, productive conversations with the state about, hey, in those areas where there's an overlap, you know, this is a local priority, but it's also a, the state is gonna prioritize this as well. And let's not, let, let's break down the stovepipes and really have a conversation about this funding working together. And our, our premise has been, obviously the local governments will set their priorities, but when they're in common with how the state is gonna spend their money, then we ought to be working together. And we, we've done some things where we're talking about moving the existing CARES Act committee into an American uh, Relief Act committee to, to just talk about willing partnerships. So, and on any of these infrastructure needs and uh, you look at it and you think, okay, the local government has a seat at the table because they got their own money, but they can work then with the state agencies and with the governor's office and others and look at opportunities to, to make their money grow. So they take right. a set amount of money. If we can double or triple that with, a, with an investment from those state pots of money, we can really get some significant work done. And I think, um, Kevin's right. Let's take the time and see where that those additional, uh, where that additional funding is. And there are also cases where money outside of this relief act, other federal money, which is why we're engaged with the congressional delegation, uh, where other pots of money can be leveraged too in existing programs. There's an existing broadband funding stream. There's an existing wastewater funding stream. And can we can we bring all those things to the table and do something significant? So that's going to be uh, the interesting part to get everybody um, together at the table. What are your what are your strategies right now on that? Because that's something for Action Twenty Two that we're really deeply concerned about. Um, we want you guys to be the resources, but 
we we know the importance right now is to start to get everybody together, not just um, municipalities and their and their counties, but neighboring counties and municipalities and that regional lift that it's going to be. What is going to be your strategy on that? Well, I mean, John uh, John brings up a really good point about collaboration. Look, the regional associations, particularly with the you know that span um, you know local government, business, uh, etc. Um, you know, have their uh, have your finger on the pulse of regional issues. That's going to be really critical for any statewide organization or discussion to occur. John mentioned something else, and I, I just want to underscore it: the the state also has its allocation of uh, uh, of ARP fund uh, funds too, four billion dollars. And uh, now we're we haven't decided how the state should spend its money yet, but we're going to give them some suggestions. And there are lots of areas of of crossover, like John mentioned, you know, water, wastewater, broadband, affordable housing, um, uh, you know, business assistance, uh, etc. There, there uh, are a lot of areas that uh, where uh, local governments, businesses, the state government, and our federal partners, uh, even uh, as John mentioned as well, we're all we've all got similar interests. So, um, uh, if the regional uh, associations, regional organizations are uh, also having that conversation locally as well, it's going to inure to everyone's benefit. Um, and especially since I don't think the state, I, I think it's going to be a little bit before the state uh, figures out how it's going to spend its dollars. Um, you know, John mentioned between the executive branch and the legislative branch, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll sort that out on the state's allocation. But, uh, you know, it may very well be um, leading up to and in the next legislative session through the normal appropriations process which is great. We got time to have the conversation. John? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I, I would say that the value of the, you know, regional effort, I, I want to underscore that because what, regardless of what we're talking about, Kevin and I have also been working on the opioid settlement and providing services. You know, we need that regional look because you can't put infrastructure everywhere, but infrastructure for mental health and stuff and things like that should be it should be accessible by people in rural areas, for example. But the only way to do that is to look at that in a regional level, which is what Action 22, Club 20 and, and these other other regional organizations are really important to facilitate those kind con- conversations because they're critical. I mean, throughout the whole opioid settlement discussion, we were like, it's self-determination. Those regions should form because of the conversations that the elected officials and their citizens are having in those regions. They should decide what the best fit is. That's not something a state association should tell them how it's going to be structured or, or, or state government. That, those regional conversations are absolutely critical to identifying needs and, and, and ways that you can collaborate and work together. We're going to depend heavily on on groups like Action 22, having those conversations, kind of aggregating all the demands and making a recommendation from a regional perspective as well. So I wanted to underscore that. We're very, thank you both. We're very much looking forward to um, doing that conversation. When we come back from the break, I want to start unpacking some of the specifics of those guidelines, if that's okay with you guys. Um, We'll return in just a few minutes. Be 
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. This episode of Making Action Happen is sponsored by Action 22's amazing energy leaders. Excel Energy, Colorado Rural Electric Association, Colorado Oil and Gas Association, Gil Romero and the Capital Success Group, Black Hills Energy, Nextera Energy, San Isabel Electric Association, Outshine Energy, Colorado Solar and Storage Association, Tri-State and 174 Power Global. Action 22 is a nonpartisan, membership-driven organization which serves as a voice for action on public policy for 22 southern Colorado counties on the state and federal level. We focus on how issues relating to Colorado legislation, local government affairs, health care, education, and natural resources intersect for the economic health of our region. If you're a leader in your community and are considering joining Action 22, you can get more information by emailing show at action22.org or visit our website at action22.org. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com This is Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You may also reach out via email to sarah.blackhurst at action22.org. Now, back to Making Action Happen. Hi. Um, well, I'm going to take over for a minute here. Yeah. Um, so one thing that was mentioned uh, the last half hour was how important it is for these regional organizations to kind of get out there. One thing that I've noticed through my years working in this is that sometimes the, the rural districts, rural counties, they, uh, they're a little bit slower in getting information and getting organized. And that's why it's important for organizations like CCI, CML, and Action 22, Pro 15, Club 20. But what you mentioned about these regional organizations talking to everyone, making sure everybody's on the same page. With CCI and CML, you're dealing primarily with um, the, the local elected officials, county commissioners, mayors, city council. You know, with Action 22, we deal with them as well, but along with the business, um, individual members. And I think that's, that's really important. And I like that you said that, that it's going to be kind of our job to make everybody on the same page in our region, not just the 
local elected officials, but the business owners, um, the associations that are in our area, the farmers, the, you know, anything. And, and I, I really appreciate that. And I think that's where organizations such as ours can step into the, on a regional level and make sure that these voices are heard and get everybody organized on the same page. So let's talk a little bit, and I know you guys both agree with that because every, especially for your, the rural, so let's say it this way for, um, cause you guys, you guys serve um, the counties and municipalities, regardless of size, what are you guys doing um, or how, what is the best thing that you guys can think of to do to some of your smaller ones where that are just are not as involved with you as um, maybe some of your larger ones? Well, I'll, I mean, in terms of municipalities, um, and and this might be a slight contradiction, John, to something you said earlier, most municipalities are not getting their um, uh, American Rescue Plan Act dollars directly from U.S. Treasury. Uh, municipalities that are under 50,000 um, are um, non-entitlement units of local government, according to the Act, and um, so there's a lot of concern first before uh, the guidelines and before anyone really read the, the act that, oh, my God, it's going to be cares all over again. We're going to have to, you know, go begging to the state to, to get dollars. That's not the case. And uh, uh, while um, Treasury has not finished guidelines um, for the, uh, the non-entitlement local governments just yet, those are the one piece that wasn't included in this. We know enough to know that um, the state will pass through those dollars. The state can't hang on to the dollars and the state can't offset the dollars in some other way that the, uh, the amounts that um, municipalities, because I think they're all municipalities um, that will be in the non-entitlement group, um, uh, the amounts that they're set to receive are set. They'll be set by U.S. Treasury um, oh. and, and, you know, unlike CARES, and, and this didn't happen in Colorado, but in other states, um, state governments just flat out didn't pass any money along, or if they did, they reduced other shared revenue that they had with uh, local governments. Um, and uh, the American Rescue Act, um, American Rescue Plan Act, clearly prohibits any of the shenanigans like that uh, from going on. So most of my members, um, by by um, number, are not only under fifty thousand. Most of them are under a thousand population. Uh, and, uh, you know, a, a big chunk of those on the Eastern Plains, some in the mountains, some in certainly in Action 22's uh, coverage area. Uh, and, uh, and, and so I, to me, they're as important. Um, it doesn't matter if it's Denver or Dove Creek, uh, everyone in between, they're going to get treated the same in terms of making sure they're getting the full services of the league and, and not just, you know, representation on this, but anything else. Yeah, I think there's only um, two municipalities in the Action 22 footprint that are 50,000 or more. If there's only two, and it's Pueblo and Colorado Springs. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, that's going to be a really big deal. Um, John, is it, is it different for the size? Is there a size thing that is attached with uh, counties getting no. their money? No, every county is getting a direct distribution, and it'll set up a direct account with uh, the Treasury Department. So, Will that be based on population? No. Every oh. all 64 counties in the state will get a direct distribution of funding from the U.S. Treasury. It won't go through the state. Oh, what I mean is on the funding itself. Is it is the fund the amount that they're getting based on their population? It's, that's one of the that's one of the determinants of it. Yeah. Oh, okay. 
Okay, very good. All right, so when you started to look at these guidelines, and this is a question for both of you, when you started to look at the guidelines on uh, Monday afternoon when they came out, uh, what were the first things that struck you about them? Well, number one, it was 150 pages, and so (laughs) it's going to be a late night. So um, I think... I think one of the things that struck me is we'd learned a lot since the CARES Act. I thought that um, it was it was well done. There are still some ambiguities that we need uh, clarity on, but I thought it was well done. And I, just a comment about the smaller counties that I have. Um, I actually spend more time with my smaller counties because they don't have the same level of staffing. Um, you know, they, uh, they have every one of our staff members on uh, our cell phones on direct dial, and we, we work hard with them. We also work with the Dola regional folks to make sure that, you know, a county administrator in some of our counties, that's it for staff. And they may have a health and human services director and other things, but they're it and they need support. And so one of the innovative ways we have supported them is a clearinghouse where, for example, on CARES Act, Otero County uh, came up with the best way to get money out to businesses. So we use that format to put out to the other counties. And like, this is how, how Otero County figured it out. It's a good, it's a good path forward. And so they didn't have to recreate the wheel. One person working on this doesn't have to create the wheel, but rather can edit that and make it modify it to fit their county. It's really helpful. And, and what that really is, it's we're a facilitator for counties helping counties. Right. County administrators helping county administrators, that kind of thing. We facilitate that. So back to the guidance, I think um, the key thing when I read it was uh, really distinguish the pages that matter in that thing are basically 130 or 130 through 150. That's what you want to read. That's 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 the meat. And the other thing is distinguish between the terms of art, shall versus shall is important and then recommend is you know you don't have to do it but it's recommended that you do it so sure looking at that with that lens you, you really get to the meat of it pretty quickly but uh, it's enormously flexible uh, there is some confusion in there but it's it's we'll be able to the, the counties and municipalities will be able to design this in a way to meet their needs I believe, and it also gives you the ability to replace revenue losses and other things that the CARES Act didn't. So I was encouraged by the guidance when I saw it. So to dumb it down for somebody like me, where it says, here's $5, you shall spend that on a vehicle. That means you spend it on a vehicle. Here's $5, we recommend you spend it on a vehicle, but you don't have to. Is that basically what you're saying? And the other, the other thing that's in there is they give a list of uses, but they say it's not limited to that list. Ah, oh, very good. Which gives a community, you know, every community in our state is different. And it gives them an ability to modify this to fit the needs of their community. And I think it does, well, CARES Act was really restrictive, but this is, it gives people a chance to be, you know, creative, meet with their communities and try to meet some of those most acute needs. And it has enough categories in it that I think, you know, and infrastructure possibilities that I think every community can tailor this in a way that fits their needs. 
Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Um, I, I'll tell you the thing I looked to first is, uh, and, and this is a very short list, is what's prohibited? Yeah. Uh, you know, what can't it be used for? And the act was pretty clear. Um, the rule, um, the interim rule and the you know, guidance that supports it is even more clear. You can't use it to offset a tax cut. Um, so if you're anticipating revenue, be it a local government or a state government, and you cut your income taxes, you can't supplant um, that, that revenue reduction uh, with this money. You can't use it to backfill pensions, um, okay. period, period, end of story. So those are, those are completely off the table. So not, not too much of a surprise there because that was, um, you know, that was fairly well articulated, uh, e- you know, even through the legislative process. But, uh, you know, we've talked about the infrastructure. I think the infrastructure is crystal clear um, uh, between water, wastewater and, and broadband. And that obviously has, you know, a, a lot of impacts, uh, you know, as previously mentioned, it's going to be important to piggyback with, um, you know, the, the state and other um, resources to be able to maximize those dollars. No, no, not too many municipalities are going to be able to take um, even 100% of their allocation and be able to resolve, you know, if they have to, if they have to build a new uh, drinking water treatment plant or a wastewater plant, it, it's not going to work like that. But, but beyond that, and I think of, of interest to the broader community that municipalities and counties support is, um, and, and I think, you know, similar themes to what was in, was in the CARES Act, but with um, uh, much uh, more clarity and fewer restrictions are, um, you know, dealing with um, uh, the cost of public health response, um, both at the, the governmental level, but, you know, also, um, uh, you know, business and community impacts as well. Um, addressing uh, economic impacts. Um, you know, I mentioned business assistance programs. Um, there's a whole host of nonprofits out there that support um, at-risk communities and, and others, and, and they're certainly uh, going to be uh, eligible to partner with municipalities, counties, and the state um, uh, to utilize uh, funds. Uh, I think what, what struck me was it provides a much greater um, network to be able to pull together support uh, across a broad spectrum. And again, that just underscores that need for those conversations, not just with within any one entity, local government, or otherwise talking to itself, but um, uh, with uh, uh, private sector and nonprofit partners uh, in both, both within the community and statewide. Is there a, a matching component to any of this funding for the American Rescue Plan? Well, one of the things you can't do is you can't use this for a match for a federal program that requires a non-federal match. So, for example, traditionally, a lot of the federal programs, uh, FEMA has waived their match most recently, but they require, what, 25% non-federal match. So, in those federal, if you're seeking additional federal funds, um, those that require a non-federal match, this is this money would not be would not qualify for that. However, there, I think where the matching uh, possibilities really are is in matching these different pots of American Rescue Plan funding. So we could match, you know, a local, you know, Pueblo County could match 
take their money and invest it in one of the infrastructure areas, and they could seek additional American Relief Act money coming from the state uh, to do that. That kind of matching is allowed. Uh, But if there are specific federal programs outside of this relief plan that that have that requirement of a non-federal match, then you couldn't do it there. So like if you had an EDA grant that required a 25% non-federal match, you can't use the uh, funds allocated to either municipality or county to meet that other 25%. Correct. Okay. Okay. Um, What about, uh, uh, and I'm going to get confused really quickly on this. So the federal funds that that are going to go to the state are completely separate pot. Um, but then can you also apply to the federal beyond what you would apply to for the state on projects or is it, it's going to the States and, and that's, you've got to go through the state to, is it basically the money that's going to the state should be considered federal dollars? No. Well, I mean, the, the, the money, the, the entire package of federal dollars is being, uh, is being distributed to States. Uh, local governments and tribal governments. So um, uh, the state has its share. Municipalities and counties have their share. Um, however, uh, that does not mean that the state can't use some of its share to support programs where a municipality or county may also be using some of its share. Let me give you some uh, an example, because this is one I think we're going to see, um, certainly one we're advocating for in a couple different areas. Um, We mentioned water and wastewater infrastructure. So that's obviously regulated. The Clean Water Act and Safe Drinking Water Act are administered in Colorado by the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment's Water Quality Control Division. We want to see some of that money uh, that the state has um, particularly go to um, uh, smaller communities that have so much difficulty in affording the million-dollar, $10 million plants that – and, and, and fixes that are required that, that then have to turn to businesses and rate pay, uh, and citizens to um, support higher rates to be able to pay them off. It just doesn't work out. So right. we'd like to see, and, and you know, for the goal of clean water, safe drinking water, um, we think that's a, a great partnership with state and local governments. Obviously, it, um, you know, businesses uh, uh, factor into that as well because the permit fees that are used to support um, division activities often go up when costs go up. Uh, and and so there's a there's definitely a benefit there. Another area that um, uh, that we've already asked uh, is uh, and and this is going a little bit back in time, but fo- I think folks remember during the Great Recession um, when the, uh, the state was looking to preserve as much of its budget as possible as uh, as we were hemorrhaging revenue all over the place, uh, cash funds all over the place were being used to backfill the state budget. One of them was the Energy Impact Assistance uh, Grant Fund um, that that severance tax um, uh, goes into, and it eviscerated the the fund um, for municipalities and counties um, to deal with the impacts of energy extraction and other uh, community-type things. We want to see some of that money restored. This is a great opportunity, and particularly since so much of that revenue goes into county and municipal infrastructure that just hasn't been uh, at a level it should have been had those dollars not been taken uh, way back then. So we'll see, but those are the kind of things we're already advocating. Again, we don't get to tell the state where to spend their money, 
but we we're, we're definitely going to advocate where we see a, a strong nexus with um, uh, both state and local interests um, that, that go just beyond the governmental thing, but I think also impact uh, businesses and citizens as well. And, and to your point, Sarah, there was a, um, there was another relief package that was passed, you know, in December of last year, uh, prior to this. And so when you ask, are, are there things we could ask the federal government for, the, these state pots of ARP funding um, will be, uh, you know, the state will, in, in consultation with the legislature, will decide how to spend these funds. But those other funds that are out there in federal programs are, are ones that we could apply for as local governments or apply for money. And the, some of that money also went through the state, and we can we can ask for additional money there as well. So there are things we can ask the federal government for in addition, which is one of the reasons we are spending our time with our federal delegation um, you know, especially, but but in the process of identifying a critical infrastructure need or a critical community need, um, and then looking for every every bit of money we can find to actually build something sustainable. I mean, it does us no good to provide mental health services that we can't maintain over a period of time. Correct. The, the value in it is that we can, it's sustainable over a period of time and people can rely on it. And we can pull these pots of money together to create that resiliency and, and, and sustainability in some of these areas. And for those that are taking notes, I mean, some of those other, other funds, um, capital projects funds, homeowner assistance fund, uh, emergency rental assistance programs, state small business credit initiative. And of course, um, our favorite, the Coronavirus Relief Fund, which is part part of the CARES Act. So when you've been having those discussions with the state, um, and they're going to be different discussions than I was, I'm going to be having, but when you've been having these discussions with the state, what has been the response? How's that landed? Do you feel like it's going to be? It's, it's early, Sarah. I mean, we're, we're just... Uh, we're planting seeds and we'll, we'll sprinkle a little water on it and see what grows. Um, like I said, I, you know, we don't know when they're going to start making their decisions yet. They're early in the process, they being the state uh, leaders in both the administration and, and legislative leadership. You know, are they going to have a special session? There was certainly talk right. of that at some point. Um, you know, some of the discussions I've had make me believe that um, you know, maybe uh, dollars that, um, uh, that, you know, there's agreement that will be custodial dollars under the, the governor's control. There, he may make some decisions and some announcements like he did with the CARES Act dollars, um, cer- certainly in the, the, the months ahead. Um, but the General Assembly may wait until, like I said, until they go through the um, uh, legislative process. It will begin this fall and then uh, with uh, appropriations during the legislative session um, starting in January. So there's still a lot of question marks. All we can do, uh, John and I, is uh, try to be as helpful as possible with things that uh, uh, our, our, our friends in the administration and legislative leadership ought to consider and the benefit that they would have um, you know, not just to state programs, uh, but also where there's that great state local uh, nexus, uh, a- again, in public sector, but also in supporting, uh, you know, businesses and nonprofits in our communities as well. We, uh, oh, go ahead, John. If I could just follow up with one quick point. And, and, and 
and one thing Kevin and I both realize, I mean, we're largely facilitators in, in a lot of ways. The power of our advocacy comes from our members. You know, they, they don't want to hear Kevin and I testify. Right. The power is when we get local officials that are passionate about these issues and, and we help them advocate. But, boy, there, there's no more powerful voice than a unified group of local public officials. And we rely on them heavily. They are, they are CCI and CML. Uh, you know, we're, we, we do the job, but th- they are the organization and their advocacy makes the difference. I don't even feel ex- self-testify, so. <laughs> we feel exactly the same way um, about our membership. So I, I get that. Um, so here's how we're going to leave it with everybody um, right this, for right this minute. Um, my big takeaway from today is take your time. Um, I'd really like to see the, the legislator and the executive branch do the same. Um, and that let's just have, let's be open to discussion. Um, and that's what we're going to do, um, for, for action 22 and with working with you guys and making sure that, that we can help, um, all those convene. And so I really appreciate it. Um, really just really quick, um, 30 seconds. If you were the King for the day, what would be the first project you would do? Kevin? I'd backfill the Energy Impact Assistance Program. That those dollars go out to communities um, that it, that need it. Um, it would right a wrong um, that happened uh, back in the late two thousands uh, in draining those funds. And uh, let's get some infrastructure built with it. Perfect, John. Thirty seconds. Your project. I I second I second Kevin's. Uh, <laughs> I it, love it. It would write a it would write a wrong, and you know a promise is a promise, and the state government made the promise that they were temporarily taking that money because of a crisis, and they would replenish it at a later date. And uh, I think they need to keep that promise. I love it. I love it. And they can look good doing it. They could look. They could look good doing it. So next week we're going to be in Trinidad. Um, we're going to be doing some. Uh, we're going to be actually be having our annual meeting down there in October, but next week, uh, join us. We'll be in Trinidad. Hey, Chad Forthman, I know you're listening right now. What the hell, Chad? This session has been crazy. I need you to quit using the force inappropriately and start using it for good. We're, we're just way too into it. We need all the Jedi on deck right now. So just knock it off. So join us next week when I ask a whole lot of overly complicated questions And Brian McCain is going to walk us through how a two-year fight to get uh, magic tricks and illusionist curriculum in schools is finally paying off. We will see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. Be sure to join your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain, for another edition of the show next Thursday at 1 p.m. Mountain Time, 12 noon Pacific Time, and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.